0: IVN is proud to bring you the following podcast.
1: Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm T.J. O'Hara, the principal political analyst for IVN, the independent voter news. Our goal on Deconstructed is to break down important political issues with outstanding guests so you can develop your own more informed opinion. My guest today is Kenneth C. Davis, a renowned historian and the author of Don't Know Much About History, which spent 35 consecutive weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and gave rise to the expansive Don't Know Much About series of books and audios. His books are well-researched and extremely informative. Mr. Davis is here to discuss his latest book, Strongman, The Rise of Five Dictators and the Fall of Democracy, which I found to be quite thought-provoking. It's a compelling reminder of how inhumane society can become if we ignore the warning signs and allow it to happen. So on that happy note, welcome to Deconstructed, Kenneth.
2: Hi, TJ, it's a great pleasure to be with you. I'm all for independence and I'm all for voters and I'm all for news,
1: so I think I'm in the right place. You are definitely in the right place and we're happy to have you. Ken, why did you write Strongman? Let me start with don't
2: know much about history because I wrote it 30 years ago and it's hard for me to believe it when I say it and I always had the belief that history matters you know we have a country that's not too good at history. We reduce it to a lot of dates and battles and speeches most of the time. People have told me for 30 years, it's so boring, but it's not. History is not boring when we talk about it in terms of real people doing real things. And when we make the connection between the past and the present, that's the real point of studying history in the first place. So throughout my career, I've been asking questions about history in books and that's what strongman is as well it's a book that asks some very very important questions about some people in history how do leaders take a country down a deadly dangerous path with such murderous results what allows a country to follow such a leader how does democracy die these are really important questions for our time I certainly, in the 30 years that I've been writing and talking about history, always had the belief that democracy was going to be around. You know, we sort of take that for granted as Americans. But in the last 20 years or so, I've started to think that's not such a certainty anymore. And certainly in the current atmosphere around the world, and to a degree in the United States, Democracy is Under Assault, so I wanted to write a book that really talks about how someone can come along and destroy democracy, not in darkness, but in broad daylight.
1: Who are the strongmen you discuss in the book? Well, the names are all very familiar, TJ, except that they're often reduced to sort of
2: words that people might use as an oath rather than being real people. So, Mussolini of Italy. Adolf Hitler of Germany, of course, Joseph Stalin of the Soviet Union, Chairman Mao Zedong of China, and finally Saddam Hussein of Iraq. These are all names that are known to people, but they often don't know the stories behind these men and how they were able to accumulate and concentrate such power with such murderous results. I mean, these are five men who are responsible, each responsible for millions of deaths, In the case of Chairman Mao, the numbers are astonishing. Between 40 and 50 million people are said to have died under his reign. Yet he is still laying in state in Beijing. So there's been mythology created around these men. Even a man like Stalin, people go to his gravesite today to honor him. And to be honest, we are living in a time when there is authoritarianism on the rise around the world. Strong men have made a comeback. I was one of those kids who grew up and we had to do the duck and cover drills under our desks during the Cold War period. I remember what that was like. And then all of a sudden it was gone. The Soviet Union crumbled. The Berlin Wall was torn down. Apartheid was defeated in South Africa. It was this extraordinary moment in world history when democracy seemed triumphant, yet little more than a decade later, so many of those countries that had become flourishing or at least fledgling democracies had turned back towards an authoritarian, a strong man. The story of how that happens is a really important story for our time, and that's why I felt it was important to write this book and make it a human story that's not just about the numbers. You know, Stalin himself has supposedly said, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. I think that's an important piece of this to remember. So I write about this as the story of what people can do to other people. And sometimes it's extraordinary and wonderful, but very often it's
1: horrible. And most of this story is pretty horrible, but we can't turn away from it. Now you reflect upon the concept of democracy, which interesting is a word that never appears in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, but Describe democracy for the audience. What's important to that concept? What's important to society in general and to the world? And why you fear that's under threat?
2: I thought it was very important to give people a brief history of democracy because it is one of those words we kind of take for granted and throw around. And as you just mentioned, not a word that appears in two of our most significant documents in the United States. Democracy, as I trace it back, goes back to ancient Greece. The word is from a Greek word, and it means essentially the power of the people. And it's interesting because as this fledgling democracy grew in ancient Athens, where people, men, I should say free men, could go and gather and actually vote in an open air, direct democracy, that changed over many centuries, of course, to democracy as we understand it in America today. But it's interesting to go back and look at somebody who was looking at democracy at that time, a guy named Plato who writes about it in The Republic, and he didn't think it was the best form of government. And in fact, he says, and I quote him, that democracy will eventually end up in tyranny He thought that the natural outcome was that a democracy would eventually give way to a dictator. The next important evolution of democracy is in ancient Rome, where the Republic was formed. Now, democracy comes from Greek, republic comes from Latin. They kind of mean the same thing of the people. Of course, the Roman Republic was very, very influential in the development of American constitutional government. The Founding Fathers, Washington and the others, the framers of the Constitution, really looked upon uh, the Roman Republic as a great moment in the idea of government. They were certainly not trusting of a democracy, and that's why they built in so many of the checks and balances that they did. But they really looked to the Roman Republic as a great example And that's what they were trying to recapture in a sense. But they also understood how the Roman Republic ended. Along came a dictator, a strong man, Julius Caesar, of course. Now, Caesar had been appointed dictator by the Senate. He marches his men into Rome and takes power. And the Senate gives him a 10-year role as dictator. Later, he's dictator for life. And then when Julius Caesar decides to put his own picture on the Roman coins, the Senate realized, well, maybe this isn't such a good idea afterwards. He was creating a cult of personality, and we should talk about that later on, what that means in terms of a strongman. But it's important to give a sense of how the idea of democracy has evolved over centuries, including in, in 200 plus years of American democracy. What we have today is very different from what the founders imagined, some of that through changes to the Constitution. Many of the amendments to the Constitution reflect the fact that we've opened up democracy to black men after the Civil War, to women 100 years ago. It's hard to believe it took more than 100 years for women to get the vote, and then finally it's been only 100 years since they've had it. Then, of course, later in the 20th century, we had changes that made the Senate elected directly by the people, giving the vote in the presidential election to the people of Washington, D.C., which they did not have until the 1960s. In my case, in 1972, it was significant. I got to vote when I was 18 because they changed the Constitution. So our own Constitution, our own democracy has evolved in 230 plus years for more democracy, not less. And I think that's an important standard that
1: we should continue to look to. Kenneth, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about the violent history of strongmen when we come back.
0: Looking for an insider's perspective? Join IVN's principal political analyst, Dr. T.J. O'Hara, as he deconstructs America's most pressing issues with notable guests from across the political spectrum. Subscribe to Deconstructed for fresh perspectives and no partisan spin.
1: Welcome back. My guest today is Kenneth C. Davis, the renowned historian and author of the new book, Strongman, The Rise of Five Dictators and the Fall of Democracy. Ken, let's talk about those five dictators. Let's start with Mussolini. Give me a snapshot of what type of dictator he was and why you included him in the book. I put Mussolini first
2: because while he certainly isn't the most murderous of these men, he did come first in many respects. And certainly Hitler was able to watch what Mussolini had done and emulate him in many respects. So he's a very significant figure. Mussolini was born in northern Italy in the late 19th century. Italy at that time was a very, very fledgling constitutional democracy, a collection of former states and republics that had been brought into a single nation, but it hadn't really coalesced as a nation yet. And after World War I, a very significant event, by the way, that we have to reflect on. And I mention it a great deal in this book because it did form so much of what happened to these later strongmen. But Mussolini was a proponent of World War I, fought in it, although he was wounded during a training accident. And it was really after the war, when Italy is in economic and political social chaos, that he comes to the forefront and forms what he calls his fascist party. It was a group of many former soldiers from World War I, veterans who were very disillusioned. And Italy was in chaos. Mussolini steps into this vacuum of chaos and becomes the ideal strongman. Now it's important just to quickly point out that Italy was a constitutional democracy. Mussolini was elected. He was a member of the parliament. He was asked to become prime minister by the king, which was entirely legitimate, and he does so gladly. He seizes power, and within a very short space of time, he had turned a constitutional democracy into a one-party state under his fascist party. And of course, when he allies himself later on with Hitler, that's leading Italy down a very, very dangerous and deadly road in which all rights and all freedoms and all liberties were erased.
1: Now, let's talk about Hitler. You brought him up, and I think he's probably the most notorious of the dictators in the book. Give me an overview of the Hitler regime.
2: Of course, when we talk about dictator, probably the face that comes to mind is the face of Adolf Hitler, even though Stalin and Mao are far more brutal and deadly in many respects, just in terms of the numbers of their victims. But Hitler, as I mentioned, did watch what Mussolini had done, that he had been able to marshal this very powerful nationalistic theme to talk about the enemies of the state that had conspired against him. And Hitler watched this and did some of the same things. He wasn't as successful initially, but his Nazi party, just like the fascists in Italy, were an elected party in a constitutional democracy. In fact, Germany's constitution was very, very progressive. It was created about 100 years ago. It allowed for women to vote. It allowed for labor unions. It allowed freedom of religion. Hitler was invited by the president of Germany to form a government as the sort of prime minister or the chancellor. He also took that power, just as Mussolini did, and quickly transformed it. The very opening chapter of the book is really about how Hitler uses an emergency, the burning of the parliament building, the Reichstag, as it was called. He takes this moment to get an emergency decree that allows him to suppress other parties, to suppress the free media. And within a very short space of time, Adolf Hitler had gone from being an elected, appointed prime minister to being the undisputed fuhrer or leader of Germany. And of course, we know where that ends up. Using many of the same techniques as Mussolini, this creation of a cult of personality, propaganda, violent suppression of any enemies, real or imagined, including a purging of opponents within his own party. So these are men who were completely ruthless to obtain power, and part of the point here is that power is only about power. Of course they had ideologies, but they were really interested in getting and keeping and maintaining complete power, and they did so very efficiently.
1: What about Joseph Stalin?
2: Stalin is a very fascinating story in many respects because for most Americans, he's much less known than a Hitler and to some degrees a Mussolini because, you know, I was growing up in a time when we had gone from the Soviet Union being the ally that fought alongside the United States against Hitler's Germany to being our greatest enemy during the Cold War. So it was a strange shift in attitude towards Stalin. Stalin was named Man of the Year by Time Magazine twice. Now, Time Magazine doesn't name the nicest person in the world, but the most important Stalin had taken this backwards agricultural country and tried to mold it into a modern industrial state, and he did it with ruthlessness. The name, by the way, Stalin, is a nickname he adapted himself. It means man of steel, and that's what he was. He was a man of steel, and he was going to turn Russia into a country of steel, and eventually, of course, the Soviet Union. He did this ruthlessly long before World War II even began. He had wiped out millions of people in the Ukraine. The Ukraine, of course, is back in the news in terms of America these days. But the Soviet Union took over the Ukraine and Stalin literally starved millions of people to death in what is known as the Ukrainian Holocaust. These aspects of how he came to power and rose and how he maintained power have largely been left out of American history books. But he uses many of the same techniques as the other strongmen I've talked about. The ruthless suppression of enemies, the crushing of any independent media, the loyalty oaths, the purges of officials who were disloyal, of course, secret police who come in the night, and this complete stripping away of any sense of individual rights that we might consider. So these are the tools that the strongman used, and Stalin used them ruthlessly and
1: without conscience. Did Mao Zedong follow the same path? Did he follow the same characteristics? Absolutely. And in his case, of
2: course, he was an ally of Stalin's early on. Once that the Soviet Union was completely established in power, Stalin looked east and saw that China would be the next great place to expand the communist empire, the workers of the world unite empire. And so he was very supportive of Mao and Mao went to Moscow early in his life and Stalin supported Mao in the long, long conflict that took place in China between the nationalists who were supported by the United States and the Communist Party led by Mao. And in 1949, of course, Mao is finally victorious and the Communist Party, the People's Republic of China is formed. And this was one more step in the long, long battle between the forces of democratic capitalism in the West and communism as it was expressed in the Soviet Union and China. So this was the great battle of our lifetime. And of course, Mao also was responsible for the deaths of millions. The numbers are impossible to really tally. But the estimates run from 40 to 50 million people died under Mao's regime, some by mass starvation as he made these plans to industrialize China and bring it into the 20th century. To do that, he was willing to sacrifice millions of lives. There were also the purges of intellectuals, academics, anyone who was a threat to the state. And the ruthlessness and the prison camps are well documented. So these are the tools that the strong man is willing to use, the authoritarian, and that's why it is so fearful to watch the world going down that route as we have in the past 15 years or so, as some of the fledgling democracies in the European world, in Asia, in South America, have turned to authoritarian
1: leaders who seem willing to use many of the same brutal techniques. In recent history, Saddam Hussein fits into this puzzle as well. How would you characterize him? Well, I characterize him by his nickname,
2: which is Fallon on the Tigris. Saddam Hussein, who came to power in the late 1960s in Iraq after many, many coups and counter-coups, a tremendously unstable region of the world. A region, by the way, I have to always take this back to the history. How do these situations get created? The instability and difficulties in the Middle East were largely created because of the aftermath of World War I again. Mesopotamia, as it was once known, this rather large British protectorate, was carved up into these countries that were rather artificial in 1920 in the aftermath of World War I and Iran, Iraq, Syria. These are created countries in some respects where the borders were drawn by Europeans and with very little respect for the local realities. And so we're still living today with the results of what happened 100 years ago at Versailles when Europeans decided to redraw the maps of the world. Saddam Hussein was a student of Stalin. In fact, when he was finally captured and later executed, his library in one of his palaces was filled with books about Stalin. There are reports and accounts of his secret service, his secret security agency, going to East Germany to train under the Stalinist type East German security forces. So there's this direct connection between one strong man and another here. It's not just their techniques were the same, but one actually modeled himself on another. And of course, I include Saddam because of the close connection between the United States and Iraq in recent history. Our fates have been so tied together. I thought it was important to include his story. There are certainly many other strongmen of the 20th century who I could have included, but it seemed to me that Saddam is the one whose activities, whose history is most closely entwined with ours. And
1: that's why he's in this book. Kenneth, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about the threat of strongmen when we come back.
0: The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers is the only association of nonpartisan election reform leaders, organizations, and industry professionals dedicated to increasing electoral competition and voter choice. Learn more at nonpartisanreformers.org.
1: Welcome back. My guest today is Kenneth C. Davis, the renowned historian and author of the new book, Strongman, The Rise of Five Dictators and the Fall of Democracy. Ken, you've mentioned five dictators and given us a great overview of that. What are the common signs that you see as a threat to democracy or a republic? Well, let me talk about the four
2: things I think that sort of set these men aside that are probably true of all strongmen. These are the indicators of how they are coming to power. The first is an extreme nationalism, which is often related to populism of restoring the nation or making the nation great as it should be, this call to a nationalistic fervor. That's usually accompanied by placing blame on a single group, whether it's immigrants, an ethnic minority a religious minority, a different political party, Or bankers, you know, international bankers. There's a whole list of usual suspects in there. And, of course, for Hitler, it was the Jews. Then it's usually some kind of emergency that's either real or, in some cases, manufactured or worsened. Severe economic distress, obviously, appealing to people's sense that they're downtrodden because somebody is keeping them under their heel. And finally, calls for eliminating corruption and law and order. And to different degrees, all these men certainly have all of these characteristics as what helps them come to power. Then there's a different set of things that they do to maintain that power. But I would say something, first of all, (laughs) as George Orwell put it in 1984, for these men with different ideologies— The object of power is power, and we have to remember that about a strong man. It's really not so much about whether he's a socialist or a communist or a national socialist or a fascist. These men are interested in power for their own uses, and that is
1: what sets these men apart. And once in power, Kenneth, what can we look for strong men to do? What are the steps that they take to maintain power and expand it? There is really an absolute playbook that you
2: can go right down the line with these men and you can see it around the world today in many places, including to a a large degree in the United States. And I want to be very clear here, this book does not mention any current political figure of any party, but I do think it's important to understand the past to see where we are in the present. So, moving to control the courts and the legislature and elections heightening an emergency that may not exist, creating a crisis that might demand military intervention, taking control of the media, that's a big one, or putting blame on the media, calling them an enemy of the state or an enemy of the people. And related to that is the increased use of propaganda. Propaganda is so powerful in the history of all of these men that I've written about. They create propaganda to support their state, They also create propaganda that creates what I call the cult of personality, that these men become synonymous with the state. I can go down the list, but there are other ones, purges, loyalty lists. Mussolini made every university professor in Italy sign a loyalty oath. 1,200 of them did sign, 12 did not, most of them were either expelled or deported or eliminated somehow. So these are the tools that the strongman uses once in power to different degrees. And of course, sometimes eliminating opponents, jailing them, or worse. Mussolini had one of his fiercest opponents assassinated within weeks of taking power. So these are all really typical and very, very urgent warning signs
1: that something is amiss. One of the things that struck me when I read your book was looking at it from a perspective of the United States, I wonder if the quote-unquote strongmen in the United States, and I think there are individuals on both sides of the major party equation that could fit a lot of these characteristics, have they become more figureheads and are the parties the greater dangers? Because as I go through your list of what happens once they're in power, you could be describing either party in most cases, and the parties provide the continuity. Have you seen anything like that or thought about that in your studies? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the parties are certainly capable of
2: doing these things as parties, but one individual can certainly focus them more intensely. And I think To be honest, we are witnessing that to a degree right now. Now, I also want to say that one of the things that I believe that's exceptional about America is that we've never fallen prey to a strong man. And that is partly a result, I think, of the constitutional norms that were instituted. When the framers wrote the Constitution, they were very afraid of giving too much power to the president that's why they did believe in the idea of the balance of powers and putting in checks and balances. So in our greatest crises, we got during the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln. Later on during the Great Depression and the run-up to the Second World War, we got Franklin D. Roosevelt. While Italy got Mussolini and Hitler took power in Germany, the United States produced Franklin D. Roosevelt. Now, flawed man who made many mistakes, I would be the first to say it. But on the other hand, he, like Lincoln, was not interested in curtailing any freedoms. He was not interested in limiting democracy. They were both interested in expanding freedom and expanding democracy. Very, very different. So I do think that we have a political system with the two-party system that really still is about power. That's what history is about, getting power and keeping power. And The limits on that ability to create and cement power is what has separated America from many other democracies or republics that have fallen prey to a strong man,
1: and that is why we should take heed of these warning signs. Kenneth, in the limited amount of time we have left, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and get a copy of your new book, Strongman, The Rise of Five Dictators and the Fall of Democracy? Well, the best place
2: to find out about me and my work is my website, don'tknowmuch.com. You can read all about my books, including quite a bit about the most recent one, Strong Man, and some of my recent other works. In the Shadow of Liberty was the story of four presidents who were slave owners, and the five people I focus on were enslaved by presidents. This is the human side of the story. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Kenneth C. Davis. What I try and do is connect history to the headlines and show people that the past still is very much alive. It's not dead dates and battles and speeches.
1: Well, Kenneth C. Davis, thank you for providing us with a refresher course on the dangers of dictators. It reminds me of George Santayana's quote, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. I sincerely hope we never make that mistake in this country or anywhere for that matter. And I highly recommend Strongman, not only as a historical overview, but as a warning. Kenneth, good luck with your book, and thank you again for joining me on Deconstructed. Thank you so much, and stay safe and be well.
0: This podcast is brought to you by IVN.us, an open news platform for independent-minded authors and readers. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to IVN.us, where you listen to podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or iHeartRadio.